This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. For the fourth time in New York history, the club is headed to a conference finals. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti, Dan Dickinson here. Tonight on Seeing Red, we're going to go inside the Red Bulls 1-0 victory, finishing off D.C. United 2-0 on aggregate. We're not going to get too much into a preview of Columbus and the conference finals. We'll do that next week. Uh, we'll get to some emails. This is going to be an abbreviated. After you go 90 minutes live video, gentlemen, uh, we can do kind of an abbreviated match review. So um, let's get right to it, Dan. New York didn't play its best against D.C., and they will be the first ones to admit that, but they did just en- just enough to survive. They did more than enough to survive. They didn't even need that goal. We could have no. They- <laughs> we could have ended zero zero, and it would have been fine. It, it, it was an odd game because it it was so much defined by what DC United has become. They they are this physical, ugly you know team that you you really don't want to watch. Um, I think Dak said <laughs> Dak said after the match, you know, they're not going to Barcelona you, and that that's probably an understatement. <laughs> Um, and, and it was fascinating to watch the Red Bulls try and deal with that because you had, uh, I, I think I saw somebody on Twitter said that it's the first game they've ever seen where the Red Bulls have both played a possession style and a counterattack style because they were basically throwing everything they could and credit to DC's defense for holding up and Bill Hamid for making a few good stops. But it, it, that was a very one-sided match and I don't think the scoreline necessarily, um, reflects what actually happened. Yes, and Eric, though, you've got a situation where New York is knocking on the door. D.C. had to score to stay in this game, and they didn't really seem like they knew how to get that goal. Yeah, that's that's what I found so interesting was that, you know, on seeing Red Live, I was asking, you know, I was really concerned, are, are they going to come out, you know, from the first minute and, and try to get that goal? Or are they going to wait till you know, the Red Bulls tired out a little bit in the second half? And the answer was, they'll never come out of their shells, apparently. I mean, they just, they sat back the entire game and it was it was strange. It was like, wait a second, are the Red Bulls the ones that need the extra goal or is it DC? Because they just defended in blocks for, you know, the majority of the match. And the only thing they had going forward was long balls to a spindle, you know, trying to knock it into the corners and hope that he can make some match. I mean, I, I think their best uh, offensive look at goal was a Bill Hamid drop kick directly to to a spindle, and I think that resulted in their first shot on goal over the two legs. So they really had absolutely nothing going forward. Yes, they did a good job of of stifling the Red Bulls' attack and and you know making it ugly, which is what they do best. But on a night where you need to score a goal, they, they just simply didn't do enough. Yeah, from a possession standpoint, you know New York was going to have more of the ball. Finished with 62%, uh, outshot DC 18 to 10, 5 to 2 on target. As you said, Eric, the only two shots on goal that they put on the net in the in, in the two game series. Obviously, neither went in. And the one thing that I think was frustrating for a number of Red Bulls fans is New York's inability to really break down D.C. I mean, yes, they got some quality looks. Um, New York tended to shoot the ball directly at Hamid. They didn't move him too much. Obviously, before the goal, Bradley had the breakaway that he was unable to put past Hamid. But they didn't really make things too difficult for D.C. other than continuing to hold the ball. Uh, Dan, thoughts? I'd agree, and I think uh, I, I think the Red Bulls didn't want to maybe put the foot on the gas completely because Eric's right; they didn't need the goal, 
And you don't want to get caught too far forward. You don't want to get hit on a counter, although watching DC try and labor back down the field to hit them on the counter was kind of funny. Um, and so I think they were just sort of trying to find the right shot. And luckily, right at the end of regula- uh, second half regulation, they found it. Yeah, they did find it. Obviously, uh, Gonzalo Verone, if, if you want to talk about Verone's contributions, that ball off the outside of his foot at speed after high pressing and, and getting possession really, I think, was a, a, a very welcome flash of skill that I know Red Bull fans were, were hoping. And good for Bradley for taking great care in tucking the ball into the net and very, very quickly turning and pointing to Verone, who really created that opportunity for him. Eric, your thoughts on the goal? Yeah, I, I think that actually uh, might have been Verone's best shift in a Red Bulls uniform so far. I mean, it was a relatively quick shift, given that he came in for a substitute in Sean Ray Phillips, who went off with an injury. But I was I watched the you know the way that that play developed, and I believe Verone started nearly in 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 his own box on the left wing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, tracked all the way forward, coming up the right wing, uh, forced uh, an error by Bobby Boswell, stripped him there. And then, you know, did the, the the majority of the legwork there and played a perfect ball to Bradley. I mean, perfectly weighted in. And he had the choice to either, you know, take a touch, hit it one time, or he just, you know, the way he did it was let it run. And, and I mean, he had no chance. It was a, an absolutely perfect play from Barone. It was a great crowd. It was a, it was kind of a nervous crowd for most of the match, knowing that obviously a single slip up, a single error by the New York back line, especially in the second half when DC was able to push their possession, uh, you know, their best possession of the game happened over a stretch in the middle of the second half. And even as we headed towards injury time, I don't think anybody felt completely confident simply because. New York had been really unable to convert. Dan? I I can see that, and it, it definitely felt tense around the arena. This is a team that didn't have a lot of one nothing games this year. They mm-hmm. they were generally, especially at home, uh, outshooting the hell out of the opposition. I think the last one nothing win outside of the, the playoff leg at D.C. was the, the game against RSL, where RSL was down to nine men, and the team just couldn't finish. And so it felt a little bit like that, and... You know, it's the playoffs, it's D.C., things get fluky, and all it would have taken was one break down the other way, one whiffed clearance, you know, something. And for right. people who had been there in 2012, we we, we know what that's like. <laughs> but uh, and, and before we go on, I, I do want to give Bradley some credit on that goal. I mean, Verone had a, a great pass, but the presence of mind of Bradley as he's running onto it to, to basically dummy it to himself. And, yes. and get past Hamid, who just completely made the wrong choice, and get that easy tap in. I mean, it's not going to be a goal that ends up on the highlight reels very much, um, but but it was really smart play from Bradley, and uh, it was appreciated. It was a really smart play from Bradley, and it actually made Bradley the all-time playoff leading scorer for the franchise, surpassing Adolfo Valencia's five. This was Bradley's sixth playoff goal in just a, a short amount of time. Obviously, some more playoff games to play before uh, now than when Valencia was active with the team. But you know, just another one, one more record break, if you will. Um, in the long history of um, this season, setting all kinds of records. Bradley now all competitions, 51 goals, compared to Terry Henry's 52. 
So just to, to show you what kind of rarefied air Bradley Wright Phillips is, and with two and maybe three more games to play this season, it's possible that he certainly can eclipse uh, Henri. So um, I want to talk about Ronald Zubar. Obviously, he was the question mark going into the game in terms of was he going to be able to stay off a card, first of all, and be able to defend. I mean, yes, Sabario and Espindola are tricky players, neither of them real threats in the air. Eric, I'm curious about your your thoughts on, on um, Zubar's game. Yeah, I think he, he did a pretty solid job back there. Granted, you know, they didn't have a ton to do by way of, you know, like, like I said, the Red Bulls were doing the majority of the attacking on the night, uh, but they snuffed out uh, most of the chances. Actually, I think he, I think it was Zubar that had that block. You know, it ended up maybe being one of DC's best chances of the game in the first half. Uh, I, I don't remember who took the shot, but he, uh, he got in the way of an early shot and, and, and blocked it before he gets to Robles. So he did a good job there. He did a good job winning his aerial battles, which is, you know, what he's there for. He's a, a big bruising guy. Uh, so he, he didn't really give Sabariu and Espindola too much room to operate. And him and Miaz guy, I think, you know, did as, as well as you could. I mean, giving up zero goals over two legs. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. No, you, you certainly can. And so why don't we go, uh, although Zubar, to his uh, discredit, I guess, and, and you're not necessarily going to expect defenders to be able to uh, knock those in with, some, with, with regularity off of set pieces, but Zubar had a chance to basically end the series uh, earlier in the second half when the ball fell to him right in front of the box, and he, he really kind of, um, that was 20th throw for, for Zubar, but... Um, Obviously, neither Bradley nor Miazga nor Zubar picked up a yellow card. Sasha Kleschen did pick up a yellow card in this match, and of course that makes things very interesting for the first leg of the conference finals at Columbus on the 22nd. But before we get to that, why don't we wrap up two, uh, a two-game shutout sweep against D.C. United. 2 nothing aggregate win, the second straight year that New York has knocked D.C. out of the playoffs. Why don't we go right to Bull and Cow? Dan, you have a bull for the game? I mean, Bradley won man of the match, mm-hmm. um, which seems like the easy thing when he scores the goal. But if we're going to talk about the whole series, which I think you said it's Sure, I think that's uh, fair. I'm going to give it to the back four. Because shutting out D.C. and holding them to just two shots on goal over two legs uh, is a real accomplishment and you know, shows that this team isn't just good on attack but good at defense, too. All right, Eric? Well, I, I was, I was going to mention uh, you know, a, a similar way, not just one player. I was going to give it to the midfield three of Felipe, Sasha, and Dax because they really, I mean, as has been the case in, I think, five matchups they played with D.C., they overran uh, you know, D.C.'s central midfielders every single time and gave them no room to operate, no chance to have any sort of you know, link-up play with their forwards. They completely snuffed out everything, and it, it made it just you know, a really ugly match for D.C. to play, and they managed nothing going forward. I'm going to give mine uh, to the captain, Dax McCarty, who completely dominated uh, in the midfield, never stopped running for the whole, really, 180 minutes, got, th- got the first goal in the series. I thought that he definitely was a difference maker. The, the entire midfield, Eric, uh, to your point, I would agree that they, they together as a unit did well, but I'm going to give mine to captain Dax. Really, really uh, spectacular effort by, by the captain. And now uh, let's start with Eric in terms of Cal for the series. Uh, well, I, I, for me, it's an easy one. It's, it's Fabian Espindola, especially after, you know, you, you talk a big game after, you know, you, oh, we want New York. Right, I want New York, if you, right. If you're going right. to talk like that and then, you know, not record your first shot on goal until the second half of the second leg, uh, you know, not not so good, man. So 
the spindle was Mike Howe. He he was you know he, he didn't manage anything going forward. And after you talk like that, you got to back it up. All right, Dan. People who have been listening this year know that I have been trying desperately to not give the other team the cow. Yes, the cow. And right. this this is the strongest I felt all year about giving it to them. <laughs> but I'm but I'm gonna hold off. Um, and just focused on the second leg this time. I'm I'm going to give it to Mike Grella, who had a very quiet night and uh, didn't didn't bring the spark that we would expect from him. Although had his had he, third had that, minute, had if he converted, absolutely. And watching the replay and watching, in fact, if you if you can go to the official Red Bull site and watch the field level highlights, he did not miss by much. I mean, there were a, a few inches. Uh, d- toward the ground and that ball bounces off the crossbar and is in the net. So, um I'm uh, I'm also I'm torn. I I'm really torn. I you know, Zubar did play very very well uh when called on. He wasn't going to start. He did have the tackle that could have completely changed the series especially with uh Perinel injured at the time. He muffed the the chance to end the series in the second half on Sunday. I I guess I'm going to give mine to Zubar um simply for lack of other folks to give it to. So we're hoping for more and more better, and he's going to have to be better when it comes to the different free-flowing attack that the Columbus crew will put on. So all all you herd of cows, uh, here we go, especially a spindola. We'll talk just a little bit about the Columbus crew and we're going to get into them in depth next next week during our Eastern Conference Finals preview. But just a brief outline of the crew. 15-11-8 for 53 points for Columbus. 58 goals scored, second only to the Red Bulls in the league. 53 goals against at Maffray, where the series will open on the 22nd, 9-4-4, four, four, which is a decent Home record, I think 10 wins out of 17 games is usually the, st- the the line for a very good home season. They were plus 13 on the road and minus 8 in goal differential uh, away from Mafre. 6-7-4 and four, matching the Red Bulls record away. They are undefeated when leading at halftime 8-0-3 and three on the season. Obviously, when you're talking about the Columbus crew, you have to talk about Kai Kamara, who uh, missed a penalty kick in the second leg against Montreal and then scored the winner on a looping header to the back post. An injury time, 22 goals and 8 assists, uh, second only to Giovinco in the Golden Boot race on those assists. Ethan Finley, 12 and 13. Uh, Iguain, 8 and 9. And former Red Bull Tony Chani, 5 and 6. The Red Bulls and crew have met twice before New York, rather, and, the, and Columbus have met twice before in playoff history. In 1998, Columbus won 5-3-2-1 when the playoffs were a best of three. And then, of course, it's very, very difficult to forget the 2008 MLS Cup out in Carson where they rode, uh, they rode um, Barrow Scalotto to a 3-1 win, Frankie Hayduck and all those guys out there, uh, where New York had... Life for all of about 90 seconds in that match after Wobbly's goal, where Chad Marshall, playing for the crew, came down and uh, scored what eventually would be the game winner. This, of course, is um, will be the fourth match that Columbus and the Red Bulls play this year. All three of the matches during the regular season, excuse me, ended with a score of two to one. 
New York uh, winning both at home and at Maffray on March 28th. Uh, the 2-1 win, that was Grella's chip. That was the first time that we really got the sense that Mike Grella was going to be something special. On October 3rd, uh, Justin Merriman, early goal, goals by Sam and BWP before halftime was 2-1. And then on July 4th, a date that, that New York uh, does not particularly perform well, two goals by Ethan Finley um, erased an Anatole, a bang goal for 2-1 loss for uh, for the Red Bulls. So, just really quickly, guys, your opening thoughts on what should be a very, very different kind of playoff series. Eric, why don't you go first? Yeah, just to kind of wrap up D.C. and move to, to Columbus. I mean, we all know yep. that, you know, the Red Bulls, you know, for most fans, I guess, maybe not the team, they said they didn't have a preference, but D.C. was the team they wanted. They kind of limped into the playoffs. They they were missing the likes of Bobby Boswell, Chris Pontius, Davey Arnault, now Sean Franklin over the course of the two legs. So they were the obvious choice. Now you move on to Columbus, and they're, uh, you know, I think a much stronger team. And, but I think it also it also might suit the Red Bulls a little bit better. You know, talking to some of the guys after the game, they don't like playing the kind of fo- uh, football that DC United, you know, tries to do, where they muck up the game and slow things down. Uh, you know, going over to Columbus, where they like to, you know, actually play soccer and move the ball around, it'll. I think it'll actually suit the Red Bulls a little bit better. They can actually, you know, implement their game plan. So, you know, you're facing a better team, but I think, you know, especially for the fans, aesthetically, it's going to be a lot nicer. Dan, your thoughts on the crew? First blush. Uh- the crew have been one of my preferred teams to watch this year. Uh, that may be because a lot of the East has been pretty dire. But they, mm-hmm. they've got a lot of strong attacking players. I, I really like what Kai Kamara has brought to the team this year. Always like Higuain. You've got Chani. You've got Finley. You've got Trapp. Um, and the, the one thing to keep in mind, and I will go into this more next week, obviously, but um, Gaston Saro is going to miss the first leg because of yellow card accumulation. That's and right. he's been one of their better defenders. So... Um, if New York can pounce on that and take advantage and rack up some away goals, uh, it, it would lead to a very uh, pleasant game on the 29th at home. But uh, I, I think it'll be a good series either way. Yeah, Columbus went three, four and three down the stretch, ironically losing to Dallas, losing to Portland, and losing to the Red Bulls the three other remaining teams that are left in the chase for the MLS Cup. They beat Philly and D.C. and then shut out Toronto and then D.C. again. Of course, they went down 2-1 at Montreal and then came back with a 2-1 win and then scored the goal in extra time. No, it's going to be um, amazing. It's going to be, uh, I think, a lot more fun to watch for the fans, even if you're a neutral, um, to watch this matchup. I think when you think about that last game in October that the two teams played, the difference maker for me was the pressure that Mike Grella was able to exact on Columbus keeper Steve Clark because Grella's high press directly led to both of New York's goals. And it, I'll be very curious to see just how New York is able to funnel that press to disrupt uh, Columbus once again. Before we go to a break, and then we'll answer some quick emails, and then we'll get on out of here. Um, this is the fir- This is the fourth time that the New York organization has made the conference finals. They, um, they've gone through each of the three previous conference finals in every possible different way. In Chicago, when the, series, when the conference finals were a best of three, they lost in three games in the year 2000 as the Metro Stars. In 2008, the game was a one-game playoff, and New York was able to get the win on a Dave Vandenberg goal at RSL and make MLS Cup as the Western Conference champion. 
And of course, everyone can remember last year losing to New England 4-3 on aggregate. It's the first time in club history that the Red Bulls have made the conference finals for two consecutive years. And I have to add, it is the first time that the deciding match will be played at home in club history. And that is what happens when you win Supporter Shield. So, uh, barring some ugliness on the 22nd, New York home fans will get to cheer their fans uh, toward a conference championship at home for the first time. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to answer some quality fan emails. And uh, then we'll get out of here on this abbreviated Seeing Red. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. Seeing Red. New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, Eric Giacometti here with you. Uh, we'll share right now that the third annual Seeing Red Holiday Party will be on December 9th, which I believe is a Wednesday. Do I have that right? I believe you do. At Legends on 33rd Street in Manhattan. We hope to, we haven't confirmed yet, but by then we will definitely let you know that the, the Supporter Shield should be there for fans to take a picture of. So put that on your calendar. And of course, it's the Wednesday after MLS Cup, so win, lose, or draw, it will be a, a fitting postscript to the end. And if you have not been to a Seeing Red Holiday Party, we would certainly encourage it. We will be announcing our Bull and Cow of the Year during that event, uh, and we should have one and hopefully more members of the Red Bull team take part. So that's Wednesday, December 9th at Legends on 33rd Street, Manhattan. Put that in your calendar, won't you? Here's John Adrian who writes, I have a nagging fear in the back of my head that this DCU series did more harm than good for the Red Bulls. While Columbus and Dallas had to elevate their play to advance, be forged in the fire, so to speak, we had to trudge through the mud and grind it out in a high school match. <laughs> now there's a two-week layover, and bye weeks haven't been particularly favorable to us this year. Are my fears valid, or am I stuck in a metro mindset? That's John Adrian from Brooklyn. Which one of you would like to take trudging through the mud in D.C. being a negative? I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I, I don't know that it's necessarily the, the worst thing in the world, because you, you do have to be able to play against varying styles, and... You know, if your game plan works every game, then you're going to get surprised later when it doesn't. Uh, that that was my John Madden impersonation right there. <laughs> um, Boom! It, well. Yeah, it it's it certainly wasn't pleasant to watch. Um, I think the team was pretty frustrated in the locker room after the game, just the the way it had played out. But I I think they knew what they wanted to play, and you know, I think Taylor Twelman uh, said these are two teams that have identities. They know who they are. And that's uh, talking about Columbus going forward. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think the Red Bulls have forgotten who they are, and I wouldn't be worried for the next lug. Eric, your thoughts on uh, on the style of play? Yeah, for all the talk I just had about you know Columbus having a very aesthetically pleasing style and how that might you know help the Red Bulls, the fact that the Red Bulls had to endure uh, you know that boxing match that was the DC series. You know, even Dak said after the game, it's nice to know that we can play that way because guess what? This is the playoffs. It's not going to be, uh, you know, Barcelona versus Real Madrid out there. You know, there are going to be times, I don't know who, what have you, there are going to be times where it's going to be root one football. There's going to be times when it's ugly. There are going to be times we need to grind out a result. And, you know, having those experiences where they were able to do it, even though it's not their forte, they were able to do it in advance, 
that I think will benefit them in the long run. You know, the playoffs are about surviving and advancing by any means necessary. And, you know, if they can add that to their locker, why not? I think it'll help them. Yeah, there are no style points here in advancing in the playoffs. And I think we would all agree that for Red Bulls fans, winning ugly would be just fine as long as you, you actually do win. Here's Tom McLaughlin who writes, Dear Dark Rick Deschetti, hmm. The team MVP is crystal clear. Luis, Dak, Sasha, Grell, well, okay, that's a tough one. But who, in your opinion, is the most valuable staff? The high press is the hallmark of the season. The raison de la victoire, if you will. By the end of each match, each week, each month, Red Bull still had gas in the tank. And that, I think, makes the difference. But who on the staff was the most valuable in making that high press succeed? Here's my vote. I don't know the person's name. Maybe you'll find out. This is the person who monitored the players' nutrition, sleep, and recovery, who measured their power output, who designed and adjusted their individual fitness plans, who approached the squad as if they were competing in the Tour de France. Is there such a person? Please use your full lion powers to find out. Eric, as someone that's at the training facility on a regular basis, do we know who the, uh, the training supervisor is for this team? Uh, I don't have a name. Uh, maybe <laughs> that on my part, I I can't say I know for sure. I mean, I I have seen uh, you know when when they go onto the pitch, they have kind of kind of what looks like a, a sports bra. They'll they'll throw it on, uh, you know, and then they they have a kind of a chip that they put on, and they, they they stick it in and it monitors their heart rate. It monitors you know lots of different vitals for them. So and I uh, you know I think we talked about it before the app they have to log in uh, with yep. you know with their food, with their eating, how they're sleeping. Uh, you know their their levels of uh, you know hydration. So there's lots of moving parts that go into it, and I think it's more a collective effort. I don't know if we can just put it on one person and say you know it was all about them. Yeah, I would I would say so. But certainly, I, I think I would have to agree that this this team looks as fit as they did in the middle of the season. I mean, there is no semblance of things uh, uh, falling off. Now, Kamar Lawrence did pick up a, a knock, and and after that knock he received in the first half, he seemed to be a little reticent to join an overlap in the attack. Uh, Eric, you you were uh, on Marsh's call today, I believe. What did Jesse have to say about Lawrence as he heads off to, to Jamaican national team camp? Yeah, Jesse himself uh, admitted that he was a little bit banged up after the match. I mean, anyone that watched, you could tell. I mean, he took one early yep. in the match and was down in, in some pain. And, uh, you know, like, as we talked about, that was a very physical series. So uh, he admitted he's still feeling the effects of that one. He will go off with Jamaica regardless. So if you're a Red Bulls fan, you just got to hope it, you know, it doesn't get any worse. Uh, you know, you'll hope that the, the training staff there with the Jamaican national team will, will do their best to have him recover quickly and, and get ready because, you know, missing missing out on Kamara Lawrence for the rest of the playoffs would be a huge blow for this Red Bulls team that already is a little bit thin at the back. Yeah, absolutely. And then Sean Wright Phillips came in and then he went right out. So I think it was a hamstring. Uh, well, he Marsha didn't uh, reveal too much about it. He just said that uh, they're still evaluating him. That you know, it obviously was something significant enough to you know take him off the field at the time. Uh, I'll I'll be sure to get to the bottom of that uh, as quickly as possible, but nothing as of yet as to exactly what it was. Okay. Kamar Lawrence and Jamaica will play Panama at the office at home and then travel to Haiti. 
Uh, obviously, Matt Miazga, who is now at camp for the U.S. men, uh, will play St. Vincent and the Grenadines on Friday in St. Louis, and then will travel to Trinidad. And the last member of the team that is away with their national team is Carl Wiemet, who hosts Honduras on the 13th and then travel to El Salvador. Um, we just want to leave it here, I think. You know, there's uh, we got a half hour of seeing Red in for you. We Like we said, we're going to give a full-on preview of the Columbus Crew Series next week. So it's, uh, it's a little odd not to do any predictions. Let, let, let me just close with this. Your thoughts on the Western Conference Series um, that obviously ended after our live show. Uh, Dan, what did you think about Dallas as well as Vancouver moving on? I, I thought the last... Uh, Portland, excuse yeah, me. Portland. Um, I thought the last half an hour of Dallas-Seattle was amazing to watch. Um, great shootout, great rapid back and forth goals. Seattle was a minute away from advancing and uh, Dallas squeaked out a second goal to send it to extra time. Uh, but happy for them. You know, it's, it's the player youth winning out over the, the spend lots of money and, you know, Portland trouncing Vancouver, I don't think was, was a huge surprise to anyone given that Vancouver cooled off pretty, pretty heavily in the, the later run of the season. Um, I am I am so excited about the possibility of a New York Portland final. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> Eric, your thoughts on the Timbers as well as F, uh, uh, FC Dallas moving on? Yeah, you know, a bit odd because I don't think too many people would have picked this as their final four at the beginning of the season. Actually, I had no. a, had a good laugh looking back at uh, some of the early predictions uh, by some of the uh, so-called experts. But I mean, if you look at the the run of play uh, throughout the playoffs, I think these are. Uh, the four best teams that are left in terms of, you know, hitting their stride at the right time. And, you know, four very talented teams. I, th- I really think both of these ties could go either way. Uh, so, you know, it, I think it'll be it'll make for a, a lot of uh, fun matchups. As I think they're two, uh, both of these conference championships are both pretty evenly matched uh, setups. So should be fun to watch. If you've yet to buy your tickets for the second leg on the 29th, we encourage you to do that because season ticket holders already have their tickets on their account and did have a pre-sale, an exclusive window where they could buy more tickets. I know uh, the, the available tickets kind of wax and wane on secondary markets and things like that. The time for the home date on the 29th has yet to be set by the league, which is absolutely baffling for me that they have not been able to figure out at what time each of the two matches is going to be in the second leg. Of course, the Red Bulls will take on Columbus at Maffray on the 22nd at 5 o'clock Eastern. If you are interested in going to this match, uh, please go and visit either the Empire Supporters Club or the... um, or the Viking Army, and they will have tickets and bus passes and all that good stuff for you. So with that said, we're going to step away. We will be back next week, as we said, to measure up the crew and the Red Bulls before the conference finals. For Eric Giacometti and Dan Dickinson, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this edition of Seeing Red, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everyone. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com. <laughs>